What, which, this, that, or the other? From Bonnaroo to Coachella, traversing the music festival landscape can be tricky. That's where we come in with high fives for everyone. The What Podcast with Brad, Barry, Lord Taco, dedicated to exploring the entire festival scene. Brad has worked in the radio industry for more than 20 years and currently lives in Brooklyn, where he is program director for three stations, including one in New York, one in Detroit, and one in Miami. Barry's been a reporter for the Chattanooga Times Free Press, covering all aspects of the entertainment industry since 1987. That's before you were born. Lord Taco, the smart guy who makes these podcasts on our website at thewhatpodcast.com work. Also really good at identifying babies, loves blue-haired moms, PBR, and his beautiful Volkswagen bus. We all fell in love with the Bonnaroo Festival years ago, not only because of the amazing bands that play there every year, but also because of the incredible community spirit that has developed around it. Radiate positivity. And we really like talking about the inside baseball stuff when it comes to putting on a huge music festival. So join us. You can hear the What Podcast on the Consequence Podcast Network or anywhere you find your favorite podcasts. Consequence Podcast Network. Welcome to Going There, the crossroads where music and mental health meet. Presented by the Consequence Podcast Network and Sound Mind Live, this series is made possible by the fine folks at Janssen Pharmaceutical Companies of Johnson & Johnson. Today we are talking with Alicia Boniano of Bully. Bully's got a new album out called Super Egg, which is getting rave reviews, with people calling it a technical marvel and a searing emotional outpouring, using terms like sticky hooks and walloping caffeinated riffs. And just like Alicia puts all of her intensity into her music, she's going to talk with us today about another very intense issue, which is her struggle with bipolar 2 disorder. Now, for people who are not familiar with the bipolar diagnosis, Bipolar is defined by having manic episodes, which typically involve intense feelings of heightened energy that can be experienced as either agitation or euphoria. Oftentimes when someone is in a manic episode, they are doing things that are very dangerous, like getting into fights, experimenting with drugs, spending large amounts of money, or engaging in unsafe sex. And this is in part because the surge of energy in combination with the grandiose feeling of invincibility can lead people to feel like they can engage in behaviors without consequence. People with bipolar also can experience extreme lows in the form of depression. Now, when someone is diagnosed with bipolar 2, they have the same symptom profile as someone with bipolar disorder, but the manic episodes are usually less intense and are referred to as hypomanic episodes. A hypomanic episode may feel like you are really energized and you come across as being confident and being able to take on the world, but without quite the intensity or the unsafe behaviors that are usually seen in manic episodes. Now, on the Going There podcast, our goal is to have in-depth conversations to address important issues so we can learn from each other, challenge the stigma of mental illness, come out of the darkness, and get the care we need. And Alicia talks about her unique experience with bipolar 2, which for her also included feelings of paranoia, both when she was in a hypomanic and depressive state. And she talks about her journey towards coping, which has involved a range of strategies, including medication, therapy, exercise, and playing music. So let's go there and listen to what Alicia has to say. Alicia, welcome to Going There. Thanks for having me. So we talked ahead of time about something that you've talked about previously in the media, which is struggling with bipolar 2 disorder. Mm -hmm. 
And I thought what we could do just to start off is just talk about when you first experienced the symptoms and, and what they were like for you. I mean, my, my big one was extreme paranoia. That was like my, I mean, I've always dealt with depression and anxiety and I had just thought forever that that's what it was just uh, escalated. But I've been seeing the same therapist for like almost five years now and she was the one who diagnosed me, um, which bless her soul in a good way. Southerners say that like, fuck you, but like I'm saying that genuinely. And basically it just started to affect my work and um, I was having random mental breakdowns and my paranoia was just off the charts. It was like hard for me to do anything because I thought everyone was out to get me and I was spending a lot of time plotting against it I guess like I kind of felt like everybody was like out to dig for something that never happened if that makes any sense like one morning I was up to like four deleting all of bullies social media that ever existed for the past six years for absolutely no reason I honestly wish I still had it because there's old pictures there that I'm pretty sad are gone uh yeah I mean that was that was the big one I was kind of reluctant to take shows and just really paranoid about posting anything that had to do with any sort of like partnership that I would do with anybody if it was like a company or anything like that and yeah I would just be sitting at a restaurant and walk out and have like a complete mental breakdown actually I would have it there and walk out and it was a joy <laughs> but yeah that was, that was like the the early stages and then it just escalated until I got to the point where I had to figure something out and my lows got even lower and even longer to the point where I was just like, I need to uh, get help now if I want to stay here. <laughs> yeah, you know, one of the things that's so tough about paranoia is that generally speaking, it's non-falsifiable. You know, you can't necessarily prove to someone that people aren't out to get them. Mm -hmm. And in fact, what sometimes can happen is that those efforts get drawn into the more general paranoid sense like not only are is what i'm thinking is going on is that actually happening but now there's these other people who are kind of conspiring as part of it yeah it can really spiral very quickly yeah and it kind of steals all your confidence because you start to just wonder if you're in a, a rational state of mind or not and you kind of start to look for other people to let you know if what you're thinking is uh sane or not or, you know, reasonable and you just totally lose yourself eventually because you just don't, you don't know who you are or why you're feeling the way it just feels like to not have any control, to feel like uh, such a stranger to yourself. is like a really isolating thing. Yeah. It carries a lot of weight with it. Yeah. And it's interesting that term, you know, being a stranger to yourself, because we, we take for granted how much we rely on you know, what we're seeing as being basically true in order to conduct our day-to-day -day life. And once you have that sense that maybe it's not, everything really falls apart. Or, or just being stuck in a feeling that you feel like you can't get out of and you don't know why you're there. And it starts to feel like it's, it's controlling you completely, like you have no control over it. And it almost feels like, like there's like another person in your body that's, that's taking the wheel and it's, it's jarring. It's kind of unlike any anything else. 
that's how I would feel often when I was at a really, really low place. It was like I was scared for my safety because I just felt like I had a, this is going to sound crazy, but like there was a different person in my body that was going to make decisions for me other than myself. And I felt like it was inescapable. And that is just, it's a, it's a feeling I wouldn't wish on anybody. <laughs> no, and what you're talking about is exactly what happens for people when they're in either a, a manic or a hypomanic episode. And, and that's actually one of the ways that sometimes we'll talk to people about it as a way of differentiating. It's like, you know, sometimes people will say, well, I, I was manic. I was just working all the time. And it was like, okay, but did you feel like you were driving the car or did it feel like somebody else was driving the car? Yeah. And, and people who go through it know immediately the difference between those two things. Yeah, for sure. And also since it's is so foreign to you in that moment it just kind of brings you further away from the world because you feel like you don't you can't explain what's going on to yourself so like what's the point of trying to explain it to other other people and it kind of just detaches you even more from reality but mania manifests in the strangest ways like for me a lot of my manic episodes would look to other people like I was just really happy and enthusiastic and upbeat and outgoing. And I would feel like elevated, just like on another planet. So good. Just like anything could happen to the point where I'm like, maybe it's just like my time to go because I'm so happy. And I think this is like as good as it gets. And then it bums you out because you realize that that was uh, not your default state and and then you get even more confused because you're like man I thought I had a grasp on myself but I truly don't know but I mean if I could live in my mania I would because I feel like <laughs> invincible that's one of the things that's that's very tough because most people when they think about having a mental health issue they think oh this is going to be painful but particularly for people especially hypomanic episodes Mm -hmm. um, you know, where it's not quite that full-blown manic where you, you just have no control over your thoughts or your behavior at times, but you're just in that like super elevated state. It, a lot of people talk about that as like you said, like this is the best I've ever felt. Yeah. It's kind of like a hide. There's been times in the past where I was feeling that way and I would vocalize it. It's like one Thanksgiving, I was like up at three in the morning, just sending emails to everybody I worked with, like going on about my appreciation and like how they helped themselves, just all this shit. And I mean, I'm, I'm glad I sent them. I'm, that was nice of me, I guess. But yeah, it's just that particular state feels really good to me. <laughs> and it's not good when you get out of it, but. Now, did you only have paranoia when you were in a manic state or did you also have it when you were in a depressive state? I had that every all day, every day, it, regardless of the state I was in. That's why it was like became unmanageable. That was like extremely heightened all the time. And I would say when I'm in a depressive state, I mean, it's there, but I it's also so hard to care about anything that it's like it doesn't fuel me the same it doesn't like spiral the same I just that feeling of like when you're going and going and you're super paranoid but you're like working and you're just doing this nonstop and you're making decisions without thinking I mean you're reaching out to people and you're like coming to conclusions in your head about things that aren't really happening it's different than when I feel like I get really low which is more of like a 
what's the purpose? I can't, don't even want to get out of bed. Like, I don't, I don't even want to stand up. It's just like fetal pose. I mean, I'm lucky I have my dog. My dog has saved my life for sure. She's like the best thing that's ever happened to me. And my mom knows a lot about mental health stuff. So there's been times like when I'm at my breaking point that I'm just like, I don't, I don't know if I can do this or whatever. And she'll be like, I'll, I'll come, I can come tomorrow or whatever. But that's like more of a lethargic dread than when you're kind of going. <laughs> Not funny, but it's like, it's just like, well, what else can I do? No, but sometimes, you know, when you're, when you're reflecting on it, it, it does, it's kind of a weird thing because one, you know, obviously a lot of times we laugh at pain, but also there is something when you're not in the middle of it, that sounds funny. It's like some of the things I've done, I'm like, that was fucking wild. Like, and I can look back now and I'm like, oh, that wasn't, that wasn't a good time for me. But I, I think that being able to have sometimes a sense of humor about it is a way of coping with it. But also for me, it just came with being able to talk about it. It's true. Like a lot, I mean, a lot of things, they're funny when we survive them. You know, if you listen to most people's like funniest stories or like favorite stories, there's a point at which you're sort of like, I'm glad that turned out okay. Because like, and that's what made it funny that it turned out okay. But obviously for a lot of people, it doesn't, you know, yeah. and then it's much less funny. You know, one of the things I'm kind of curious about is whether you noticed what tended to trigger manic episodes, depressive episodes, were they different things? Was it just when things got very stressful, kind of it felt more destabilizing? For me, it was just really my interactions with other people was when it would trigger it or, I mean, definitely drinking. I'm sober now, but that obviously didn't help anything. Drinking for me was like a way to cope with social anxiety and it, I could like tap into that other person more easily than I should have been doing. I just interactions with other people, talking to someone about booking a show or, you know, finding a new guitar player or whatever the fuck it is that's like dealing with other people was definitely triggering my paranoia. Any sort of responsibility to social media that I had was like unbearable. And now I'm not my favorite thing, but it's totally necessary, especially now in quarantine. But I think I can do a better job of looking at it for what it is and just realizing that it's not the real world or, you know, it is in some type of way. But I also am aware that it's just like corporations profiting off of like my need for validation and to try and like <laughs> take that with a grain of salt and just post what I need to do that day or whatever is on schedule and then just put my phone away and know that I am a good person and don't have anything to hide so it's like whatever whatever's going to come of that like I, I trust myself now and I and I know um yeah it's just like what even if people say things like what what am I going to do you know I can't control that yeah it's interesting the whole concept of interacting with people um because you you, you said something I don't know if I'm quoting it exactly right, that I thought was very interesting about how you were dealt with in school and how not everybody learns the same. Oh my God. Yeah. I, yeah. I could talk about school for ages. Well, I, you know, cause I, I would actually like to, because I think one of the biggest things that you're saying about people is that, you know, it's kind of like there's a, you know, the tyranny of extroversion in the sense that there's this, this assumption that what's good is interacting with people, 
what's going to be energizing is interacting with people. And so kids are constantly forced, like, you know, raise your hand in class. Like, why don't you go do this with, with your classmates? You know, there's a lot of people out there who don't necessarily see interpersonal relationships as being all good. You know, like what you're describing is that sometimes they can, they can trigger somewhat negative things. And that to me is right at the beginning of where I think that there's a lot of misunderstanding in terms of the education system, because that fundamental thing is making people who would rather be a little bit pulled back feel like there's something wrong with them. Yeah, totally. I mean, most of my social anxiety stuff came on later in life. I feel like in high school and middle school, it was like I was friendly and outgoing and stuff. But it was more so just like the idea of one type of one way of teaching kids when everybody learns so differently. And I have no idea if it has to be what actual knowledge is like correct about being left handed. But I'm convinced that some of like my my learning disabilities are like from that. I think that it's just kind of foolish to make the assumption that everybody can, you know, retain information the same way. Because I know that like myself and a million other kids out there like physically need to do it themselves to understand it. Like if someone's even still to this day, if someone wants to show me something, I'm like, okay, show me, but then watch me do it. Because me watching you do it isn't going to click for me. Like, let me do it. Let me fuck it up and learn from that. And then maybe I'll remember. It's really disheartening and discouraging in school, especially as a student, because your whole like sense of value is based off of your grades. It's like that just is who you are. Yeah, no, it's like as you're saying that I, I, I've had that conversation with people where, I mean, I, I'm sure I learned some basic stuff in classes, but the overwhelming even even in terms of how I practice as a psychologist now, the overwhelming amount of learning happened when I would work on projects. So I learned way more by working on a research project where we were doing different treatments for binge eating disorder than I ever did about reading. I mean, I could have, I could have read about treating binge eating disorder, you know, for till the end of time, but I, I would have had no feel for it, you know, and, and the same thing with, same thing with something like bipolar, like I could have read about it, but until you're working with someone who's going through it, how can you, I mean, I guess you can, you can have some basic understanding of it, but it's not the same. I agree with you. I think like for me, project learning has always been the best way. One of the things I guess that, that this topic brings up is how sensitive or understanding school systems tend to be for mental health issues as they present themselves in classes and in learning, you know, so for example, like a kid who's, you know, all of a sudden not doing as much work might be called lazy or this kid who's like having trouble sitting still, maybe say they're being, they're being defiant, you know, and it may be a while before there's any sense that there's a mental health issue going on. And I don't know if, if, if any of these things manifested for you while you were in school in a way where you're kind of like, Hey, the people around me are just not getting it. I just, I feel like for kids, it's like any type of behavior. It's just like a form of communication and it gets written off so easily. It's just somebody being naughty or being bad and disciplined for it when really what they need is a conversation and support about why it's happening. And so often, you know, it's just, there, there's not room for that, um, especially when there's so many students. And I was lucky that in high school, I was able to go drive over to the art school and take engineering classes because that was the first time where I met a teacher that really changed my life and helped me kind of find a sense of purpose. But I 
definitely felt isolated in high school or but at the time I didn't feel isolated I just felt dumb you know I just felt like a failure mainly just because it's like when you go through school and you're and I spent like really until like 10th grade I was trying I was like really trying and I would just like no matter how much I studied I had really bad test anxiety, which I didn't even know was a thing. You know, it was like before a test, it was just like everything would like totally escape my mind. And I would just freak the fuck out. Like I still do that. I was taking a CPR class and like I didn't pass. And it's because in my brain, I was thinking everything was a trick question. Like I was like, this is too easy to be this answer. What if it's this? And it's just like, God damn, some things don't change. But just having that feeling of your peers, you know, not even having to crack a book and they're getting straight A's and you're just so far behind. It's like, well, something's not um, connecting here. Yeah, it's that first feeling of otherness that comes when people struggle with their mental health. It's like you're also then like watching everyone else seemingly just breezing through it. And, you know, when people, when, when, again, when people talk about paranoia and how can that start manifesting, it's like, it starts a lot of times long before someone actually starts developing paranoia. It starts with that anxiety. It's like, you notice, like, I'm kind of talking to you about something and you're not getting what I'm saying. Let's move a little bit into the world of treatment. What got things better? It was when I was diagnosed was when I could start like the proper treatment because before that I was doing stuff for depression and anxiety, which actually is like worse for you if you are uh, dealing with any sort of bipolar disorder. So it was like a long period, really just about a year of like trial and error and all that stuff, you know, you need to gradually build up and then you can't just stop, even though I did that multiple times but you're supposed to build it back down and then you try something new and then you bump into issues with your insurance and it's just like kind of a nightmare but now I'm I've been on Lamotrigine for years and that's what really helped me and then I have multiple things for anxiety on top of that but taking that medication was like the best thing I could have done not and I'm not saying that to like be sitting here advocating for pharmaceutical companies i fucking hate pharmaceutical companies <laughs> but uh like I, I mean truly it's just it completely you know changed my life for the better yeah i mean that just keeps me so much more level-headed like i still fluctuate but a little less extreme so really the big thing that i gained from taking medication was just getting my confidence back because it, it was gone. It was just shot. Like it that took that was that was the biggest blow, I think, was just it was, it was just like a constant identity crisis. Yeah, no, one of the things that you that you said at the beginning, which not a lot of people know unless you've been through it, is that one of the main ways that we unfortunately discover that someone is bipolar is when they're taking antidepressant medication and if you're bipolar and you're taking antidepressants, it can sometimes throw you into a manic episode. What's so disturbing about that is, you know, you're, you're doing all the right things. You've been diagnosed with depression. You've been diagnosed with anxiety. You're taking your medication. All of a sudden things are way worse. And, you know, talking about this feeling of being disconnected from your body or someone else's, you know, driving the car. I mean, it, 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 it can just be brutal because it comes on so quickly. Do you feel as though the medication was the main thing? Was, was there anything in terms of therapy or, or other ways oh, of coping? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I 
still go to therapy weekly. I meditate or try my best to attend Dharma talks and just try and understand it more. I mean, getting the diagnosis was great because uh, it just helped me kind of know, learn where to start and liked to think at first that I had a better, better understanding of it. And that meant that I would be able to identify a little bit easier when I was fluctuating in and out. And I still don't catch it until usually it's like already coming down. But yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I tried attending like bipolar support groups and stuff, but it was just, it was comforting because I was able to hear people who were kind of feeling the same way and less isolating. But at the same time, there wasn't like a psychiatrist there guiding it. You know, it's just kind of a group of peers. So I don't know. I just, I stuck with therapy. I've been going for a long time and that helps all those things, running, yoga, like everything in the fucking world. I feel like I have to spend so much goddamn time. Like that's the most frustrating part about it is like, oh, it's not frustrating. I guess it's just the way it is, but like having to stay on top of it. All the things that you have to do just to stay regulated is frustrating a lot of the time because yeah, it's just annoying. It's like more time out of your day, but it's also life changing. So I just need to keep up with it. No, but can I tell you that's, that's something that I feel like is so common and it's one of the places where I just think for anyone who's either going through it or as an ally and a family member of someone who's going through it is to realize that like, you know, yes, we, we, we have treatments now, you know, there's, there's medications, there's therapies, you know, things like exercise, meditation. There's a, there's a lot of things that people can do to manage mental illness. And, and it's so wonderful when you find that right combination. But even when that happens, it's just like you said, it's a lot of time and feels like it's exactly like you're saying. It's like you have to keep on top of it. And I think a lot of times people don't realize for themselves or for other people, like just how stressful that's going to be. Yeah, it's just even more frustrating when you are doing all that you can and it's still not working and you just feel stuck. Big one for me, and I, and I hate running, but when I feel like I'm going to explode, I'll just like put my shoes on and go. And that temporarily help. I would recommend that for anybody who's dealing with anything similar. Yeah, I think I think that it's exercise is definitely one of the most consistent things that we have for oh. dealing with any level of mental health issue. For sure. It is. Yes. A hundred percent. Which brings to the question of, you know, you talked about going to art school and finding purpose in that. And I think that, you know, a lot of people who struggle with anything, not just mental health issues, but, but sometimes mental health, health issues will listen to your music as part of their, their therapy. And I'm kind of curious for you, just how everything related to your pursuit of music you know like do when you're when you're doing music do you feel better is it totally unrelated like you could be complete you know do you do you write better when you feel like you're in a manic state which is what some people will report yeah i will to clarify i actually went to a public school but my senior year we were able to take electives over at an art school so i got to go over there for a class but yeah i mean music is the only thing that makes me feel better for sure without a doubt 100 percent. still to this day it's like right now there's just been something that's like been completely consuming the past eight months of my life and i still think about it every day and it just like that feeling in your chest that sinking feeling it's like 
all I have to do is play. And I have to remember that I'll forget or I'll be reluctant to do it. And it's like the moment I pick up my guitar and I'm able to just scream or even just sing. It's like it just like carries the weight and then it comes back. But it's like the best thing in the world when you do it. It still just blows my mind. I was just thinking about it before this conversation because there's just nowhere else that I can funnel that into the same way as I can with playing music there's just nothing else that like eases the eases the pain on so dramatic but gives you a sense of relief and a place for it to go it just feels good I don't know what I would do without it now did you feel that way about listening to music as well or was is it mostly playing music for you mostly playing it I mean listening to music Listening to sad music, I just haven't been able to do for like the past year. It's just like salt on the wound a little bit. And some of my favorite songs are ones that, you know, it's like the best thing in the world when you feel like you can connect with a song or you understand it and you're not alone. And I used to be able to play those songs when I wasn't feeling well and feel better. Recently, I just... I can't with like, you know, when things are already dark and especially like, you know, the state of the world we've been living in for the past, you know, nine months, year. I mean, really the past four years, but it's just like, I, why? I just, I, I was very conscious of it when I was writing Sugar Egg because I, I didn't want to have to play that every night. I wanted to play something that even if, lyrically is upsetting or a bummer it I could still put it in a way where it was fast and like upbeat and felt good to get out but I don't know I mean people are crazy about slow sad music right now it's like people fucking love it so (laughs) I'm just I guess this is that's another example I'm just I don't know detached I feel like I don't know what people like anymore but bullet is doing something for somebody out there because I do get people send me messages often about how it helped them and that's like the best thing in the world because playing it helps me a lot but yeah with sad slow stuff I'm like I don't I've already got enough of that (laughs) what was the music that you used to listen to that that did it for you I mean I have a few songs from my favorite two of my favorite bands of all times which still are my favorite bands of all times but I have to like stay away from the sad songs because it'll just destroy me but at the same time it's kind of the best thing in the world but Land of Talk has this song called I think it's called It's Okay or something and it's just like I mean she's one of my favorite musicians of all time she's so good and so talented and I still listen to those records and her new stuff and she's just incredible to me and then Swearin' is a band out of Philly who's also just one of the best bands in the world. I'm going to stand by that. They're so awesome. And it's also both those people are like all the people in Swearin' and Liz, I think her name's Lizzie from Land of Talk, just also just super solid people. And Swearin' has, I don't even remember the name of it because I just play the record till the end, but I think it's called like Empty Head or Empty Space and it just like guts me. (laughs) And I love it. I mean, it's it's some of the best stuff I've ever listened to. But for them, too, those are records where it's like one song on the record that they decided to slow down for a good reason because they got a really good song out of it. And the rest of the records are upbeat or not upbeat, but, you know, they're rock records and they're great. 
What do you think is making it harder now for music or at least listening to music to to do it for you? I don't know. I just feel like there's already so much stuff going on that bumps me out. I don't want to listen to something that's going to like highlight that for me or bring it up. It's like I want music to be an escape. I want it to make me feel better. I don't and and it's just it's like totally different for everybody because to a lot of people listening to that does make them feel better but I think where I'm at now it really is just trying to do what I know is going to be better for me mentally as opposed to caving in and like sulking in it one of the things that's that's very tough is that sometimes people need like I, I know for example like when I'm in a bad place I need to hear something that makes me feel like this person gets it. That's a big reason why I'm sure that people will go to a bully record in part is because, okay, like sometimes I just need to listen to somebody who I think gets it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And, but sometimes if you're already at the point like, okay, I get it. There's no, no question about the fact that I get it. Now I need to move past it. Mm-hmm. That becomes like a whole different thing. Yeah, I just think too, like a lot of what I'm saying just stems from my love of rock music. And I'll always try, I'll be like, oh, what's this new thing or dabble in this. And then it's like, I put on like an old punk record or a rock record and I can shake my head and I can scream and I just feel like free of that. And I hope that that's what bully is more of like. And also I will say too, like there's room for a sad song. I just don't need a whole record of it. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Like I, this is just me personally. Everyone's different. I would rather shake my head and scream it out. To me, I connect more with that. It's, It's a bigger release for me to listen to. You know, I think that historically, one of the things that has been very powerful was when there were bands and bands that that you've even been compared to you know whether it was nirvana whole um you know i read that you're a fan of the breeders like where you could you could put in dark themes in a fast-paced context yeah for sure or like a loud distorted context to me that speaks to me more and that is i think why playing this is gonna sound totally ridiculous but when i'm feeling really really low i will play my guitar on full volume with distortion and sing into a microphone alone in my house it's completely unnecessary but there's something about the noise that drowns things out that nothing else can really do that for me except for that and i like hearing that in music and i think it just adds more element and and layers of emotion to it even sonically when i track a song or if i'm going to go to mix it i do it based off of how i felt when i was writing it and the feeling i'm trying to convey with the song it's like every detail is still trying to tell that story no it's it's i think in a lot of ways it's similar to the running you know sometimes some people some people are running people, some people are yoga people. And obviously it's not that dichotomy, but some people in order to clear their head and, and, and understand things, they need to be really active and other people, they need to be like, their whole body needs to be calm. Mm-hmm. And I think that musically it winds up being somewhat similar in the sense that some people need just something really, really intense and other people need something that really, really, really brings them into a certain kind of 
place. And it doesn't really matter. It's just, it, but what matters is that you find the music that's right for you. I, I wanted to just ask one other thing, because you said something before about purpose that I think is so important. And I'm kind of curious, because you also said that playing the music makes more of a difference for you. Do you feel like when you're doing something that feels within your sense of purpose, like this is who I am, can you feel it re kind of orienting you, like reconnecting you to yourself, even during those more difficult times? Oh my God. Yeah. I mean, that, that's something that has like been seriously eye-opening with quarantine and not being able to play. It's just, I just need that. I need that outlet. I don't, I don't know what it is about it. Maybe, maybe it's like my ego too, like needing to feel like I need to play in front of people, but playing music is so separate to me than listening to it. It's just like a completely different feeling and not being able to play live and, uh, you know, not being able to talk about it. It's just easy to kind of lose track of why you're here, you know, and that, for me playing be able to talk to people after like connecting with people that I'm traveling with that's like what it's all about for me I was talking to someone the other day just about touring in general and how it's just it's it's fucking hard like once you get to a level where you're in a bus and stuff you can get a little bit more of a break but you're sitting in the van all day you know you just wait it's it's like hurry up and wait all day and then you get that 45 minutes at the end of the day and I was talking to my friend who's just like I just couldn't you know I have musicians that I know who just like won't do it and I just couldn't I I couldn't imagine it and I was like I will would do that for the rest of my life if it means I get that 45 minutes at the end of the day because it's like everything I've bottled up I can just release in a way that I've never been able to do it before and it definitely keeps me going and if you're disconnected from yourself whether it's through mental illness or, or circumstance of any kind, you know, people don't give enough credibility to the notion of doing something that you feel like you were born to do. Yes. And that's different for everybody. Yeah. That's the main thing is like, I have never felt like when I'm not playing, it's just like, I don't really know what I'm doing. Well, I do know what I'm doing because I'm writing every day, but you know, like what's, what's my sense of purpose? Like, all these insecurities just like eating at your brain and when I'm on stage and playing that music that I wrote I truly feel like my most authentic self like in a way that's I have never even came close to and I think that's what it is it's just like all those years that I spent wondering who I was or what I was supposed to be doing or how I feel about things. That's like everything I write is really, really personal and very honest. And so when I can be up there playing it, it just feels like I am fully the person that I am supposed to be. Well, I think, I think we should end on that. Alicia, thanks so much for coming on going there. When somebody like you steps up and shares these kind of stories, it just adds so much more like we said i think people are already helped by your music but you know you went through it and you know what it was like looking at a world where no it felt like no one understood you and to have somebody like you publicly be like hey i've been through this and and people can read about it and be like oh that's that's me there's so much more likely to get the help that they need um and so I, i really appreciate you stepping up and talking about this stuff it's tough stuff yeah thanks for having me absolutely 
And so best of luck with what's already a fantastic career. Thanks. <laughs> All right. See ya. See ya. So there it is, Alicia Boniano talking about her experience coping with bipolar 2 disorder. There was a lot to take away from the discussion with Alicia, but one thing I really want to highlight is when Alicia described her experience of bipolar 2 as someone else taking the wheel. This is really such an important insight because it describes how so many people who struggle with mental illness feel, that there is someone else driving the car, that they are no longer in control of their minds and bodies. This is a terrifying feeling not only because of the emotional pain it causes in the moment, but also the ongoing terror of not knowing when another episode will occur where we will no longer feel in control. And Alicia talks about how disconnected she can feel, which is so common when someone struggles with mental illness. If we can't trust our minds and our bodies day to day, who are we? How can we feel safe in the world? And it is a testament to everyone who struggles with mental illness that they have the strength to endure that pain and disconnection as they hopefully find the care they need as Alicia has. And we can learn a great deal from her struggle to reconnect with herself. We have to make sure that we find the right treatment to manage our symptoms, as Alicia found with medication, therapy, and exercise. But we also need to make sure that as we manage our symptoms, we connect with ourselves by finding our passions and our purpose, as Alicia did with music, so that we can live our healthiest and most authentic lives. I want to thank Consequence Podcast Network and Sound Mind Live for including me in this wonderful project, which is sponsored by Janssen Pharmaceutical Companies of Johnson & Johnson. And thanks to Pete Wilson and the Rooks for letting us use their song, I Know. If you are struggling with anxiety, depression, or addiction and are looking for help, please call the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration National Helpline at 1-800-622-4357. And if you're thinking about harming yourself and want to seek help, please contact the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255. You may also go to the Sound Mind Live and Consequence of Sound websites for more information. So be healthy, be safe, and be kind to yourself and others. See you next time at The Crossroads. Consequence Podcast Network.